The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Arthi Shaw, and I will be your host for today's episode, which features Latoya Drake, who is a founding member of Google's News Initiative. Google's News Initiative. Um, so, the Google News Initiative focuses on sort of helping news organizations thrive in the digital age. I think that might be their exact tagline. Some of you may already be aware that this initiative exists. This might be news for some of you, um, but either way, I'll include a link. Um, in the show notes that um, has more information about this um, initiative. And on top of being a a founding member of this, um, LaToya is also a mobilizer for inclusive storytelling at Google. So we'll talk both about the Google News Initiative and also um, inclusive storytelling, what that looks like at Google, what that looks like specifically for the News Initiative um, as part of this conversation. Um, it's also worth pointing out that we we spoke to Annie Jean-Baptiste a few weeks ago. She is head of product inclusion at Google. And I'll include a link to that conversation as well because it's interesting sort of, to sort of see how this um, movement around, around product inclusion, around storytelling inclusion has kind of evolved at Google um, over the last few years. So on that note, welcome to the show, LaToya. Oh, thanks, Artie, for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, yeah. So, so you are the founding member of the of the Google News Initiative. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this? How this came to be? Sure. I have been at Google uh, just about six years now. And when I got here, we started a team called the News Lab, which is still a team that does a lot of great work in the industry on training and educating journalists um, on, on hopefully how to help them do their, their, their jobs a little bit uh, easier using Google and some of our tools and our technology. About uh, two years ago, actually exactly two years ago in 2018, a group of us came together and we realized that there needed to be a more concerted effort for how Google thought about news and how we reached the industry, how we supported the industry. So that meant going beyond going into newsrooms and doing training, so on and so forth. But it really meant thinking holistically about what are the challenges that the industry faces? What are some of the barriers to entry in terms of adopting new technology? Uh, The speed of change is so accelerated that Uh, A company like Google is always constantly changing. We want to help newsrooms uh, adapt. We also started to think about revenue and sustainability and and how could we be part of helping with new revenue models. Um, A few programs we launched, for example, around subscribe with Google and how do you help newsrooms get into a a subscriptions model and really monetize their audience. And then we also thought about how do we continue to help uh, newsrooms in the industry tell stories. So again, that was 2018 and we announced the Google News Initiative then. uh, And beyond the announcement, it also came with a $300 million fund, which means that we spent a lot of time and energy making sure that we go beyond just doing the work. Uh, it goes beyond just saying a few things that we want to do and really getting those those uh, those resources into the hands of individual storytellers, newsrooms, publishers, so on and so forth. And that $300 million fund, is that is is that separate from the, the, the emergency relief fund that you all announced around coronavirus? Can you, can you kind of talk about those two things? It is. So when we announced the GNI, it, again, it came with a $300 million fund and that money is, 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 is distributed across many different programs. Um, it's, I, I have to be very clear and say it's not um, apply for a grant or anything like that. It's, it's not that at all. It's, it's how we energize the industry by creating different programs. And March when COVID happened, 
it became very clear that this was a moment that no one expected. You could also argue that the moment we're in right now is not one that we expected. And we thought about very critically, what are some of the challenges that a newsroom is facing right now in terms of covering a global pandemic? Do they have the necessary resources? Um, uh, we saw many stories of newsrooms, especially small hyperlocal ones, losing staff, having to lay off staff. And this was a moment that we needed to rise and meet the occasion and really inject some relief, which is why it was called the emergency relief fund um, around the globe. So whether you were a small newsroom, as, as small as two people or up to 100, you could apply for emergency relief funds. And again, that was specific to what was happening around COVID and understanding that it was a, a very unique moment in terms of journalism and, and, and sustainability. And that program was created to address that need and hopefully get those resources into the hands of those who needed it. How, how did you, I'm curious what kind of response you got to, the, to, the, to that and, and how you all were, you know, had to make decisions. It was uh, a really amazing response. We got thousands and thousands of applications, which was the hope. But Google is the type of place that when there is a huge challenge, people rise to the occasion and they figure out how can I be part of it. So we literally had task force around the globe, getting the applications, evaluating them, reading through them hand by hand. So this was not this was not an automated process. This was very much manual to make sure people got the right amount of evaluation that we were looking at the application reading them and, and being very and doing our due diligence in it. So it was very much a global task force of people dropping everything that they were doing to be part of this team, which it, it was a matter of weeks when we started thinking about the relief fund and getting it out the door. And then the other half of that was how do we make the decisions quickly and get that get those funds into the hands of publishers. So it was a sprint. Uh, it was it was very much a sprint. How many people do you have on this team, on the GNI team, working on all of this? So the GNI technically it includes anyone who touches news at Google. Um, so though th that includes my team, we still uh, our team still exists. The News Lab, who do, we do a lot of training partnerships and programs. It includes the teams who manage small partnerships. So there are thousands of people at Google who technically are part of the GNI because so many people touch news um, at a company of this size. Right. So, so one of the one of the things that I that I that stood out to me um, with 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 your with your role um, is that you kind of look to elevate voices um, or you know that 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 aren't typically heard. Um, how how do you do that? Um, and do you want to kind of walk me through that process a little bit? Years ago, um, before even before the GNI, I looked after and really started a pillar on our team, which we call inclusive storytelling. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was, how do we understand whose stories aren't being told in media? How do we really think critically about the challenges that newsrooms face? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, this is not to suggest at all that we were going to solve all those challenges, but we thought, how can we be a part of those? And that it took three different forms. We looked at how can we help do a lot of training? Um, unconscious bias training is something that we toss around and means something now that it didn't necessarily mean years ago in terms of what are the biases and how does that affect coverage. Um, and then we also started to build out partnerships and programs with the experts in the industry who needed the resources to do the work. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, and I really spent my days listening, brainstorming, figuring out who to talk to and how could I help energize. There was an, there's an organization called the Maynard Institute 
they wanted to relaunch a program called the Mainer 200, which thought about what is the pipeline of diverse talent? Um, one of the things that many people hear from newsrooms is where's the pipeline, where's the talent? And we, we, we helped them launch a program that over five years is finding, training, educating the next 200 leaders so that when people say, I don't know where to find the talent, we say we've invested heavily in them, we've given them the resources, Here's the talent. Another issue that we try to address through partnerships is how do we elevate um, it, it, things like investigative journalism training with um, among journalists of color. So Nicole Hannah-Jones and a few others were launching something called the Ida B. Wells Society. We came as a, as a launch partner, traveled around with them to show up and train on how to use some of Google's tools for investigative journalism and training and so on and so forth. And then we also thought about what is the role that Google can play in terms of helping the industry understand diversity uh, in the newsroom or the lack thereof and what is the impact of that. Um, and so we, there was an organization that is now the News Leadership Academy or Association, used to be ASNE, American Society of Newsroom Editors. They did the seminal research on uh, newsroom diversity for many, many years. One of the things that we realized is that from, for so many years, they could only put the results out in a PDF. We happen to have a very sharp team of data journalists and data scientists who said, well, let's figure out how we can create visualizations with you, tie that to census data so that we can help people understand the narrative and hopefully we can start to think about the solutions. So again, when we think about inclusive storytelling and what that means, I try to attack it from, you know, sort of pie in the sky and how do we create technology that can understand bias to what are some practical challenges that people are facing? How do we create the programs that can get to the heart of some of those issues and hopefully move the industry in a more inclusive direction. Is there is there an algorithmic um, component to this as well? Like what you know what what news stories, whose news stories are showing up on the first page of Google News? That's always a question, and, and, and to, to kind of step back for a second, we get that question um, a lot on what surface, how things surface, and the way search is constructed at Google is it's driven by authorita authoritativeness and freshness. So there, there is no, no manual curation of figuring out what happens uh, in terms of search at Google, but to, to kind of take that a step back, there are a lot of publications that do wonder, why doesn't my content surface on, on, on Google as readily as other publications, we understand that we hear that. So then we spend a lot of time with associations and publishers of color to help them understand some of the challenges as to why they might not be showing up in Google. So that's the algorithm part of it, but there's also some people effort that has to happen to help people understand search at Google and how do you make sure that your content is built in, some, in a certain way and your pages are built in a certain way so that they do have the opportunity to surface on Google. Right. So you know, let's talk a little bit more about sort of this idea of inclusive storytelling. You know, most, many of the folks listening today are, um, are in the PR industry and the comms industry and they, storytelling is what they do for a living. What can they, what advice would you give um, when they're constructing stories either to pitch to the media or for, for brands to tell themselves, you know, corporate narratives, that how they can ensure that those are, those are inclusive um, and, and, and maybe first, you know, define um, you know what that means exactly, um, which I, I know you kind of did in the previous question, and then and then also for I guess the second part, let's talk a little bit about what PR and communicators can do. Yeah, and when I when I think about what does it mean to elevate voices, there's a fine point um, that we think about at Google, and I certainly think about in all the conversations that I have is well, whose story are we elevating? Because 
inclusion means many different things. It's not one size fits all. When we talk to our, my, when I speak with my colleagues around the world on our, some of our inclusion task force, it means something completely different in Germany, in the UK, and in America. So getting really sharp on whose voice you're choosing to elevate and in a way that is not cannibalizing someone else, because as I said, it means many different things. And, and I find in many cases, um, it's, it's, when we think about inclusion, it can all, almost compete with itself. So how we start to think about it is equity gaps um, and whose story is missing. What is the impact of that story missing on the community? Why does that story need to be told and how does that change how we think about a particular group? So again, it's not meant to, to say, well, we've got to think about women right now. We've got to think about women of color and how we tell their stories. We've got to think about black people right now and how we tell those stories. It's all in, in this moment, what is the gap and whose story is missing? So that's the lens that I try to train myself under and, be, and I'm, I'm very, again, adamant internally and vocally about it because we also have to appreciate the fact that there are a lot of groups that we're talking about and we don't want to compete internally for inclusion and what that definition means. Um, so yes, I, I definitely look at it when I think about inclusion. Can't miss the term equity. Um, for so long, we used to talk about D&I, diversity and inclusion, and then equity entered the mix. And so you see the cycle kind of changing and, and then finding a way to get people to understand what equity means and how we're telling stories under that lens uh, has, it's again, the work isn't done and there's always constant learning. There's always constant pushing, certainly on my side. Um, and, I, and, I, and I find that, especially in the moment that we're in right now, um, we're, we're kind of in a moment where internally, when we think about what are the programs that we're launching and we're trying to think about systems that we have to break down, systemic pre prejudice, um, how are we addressing that as it relates to news? That's a big question for us. We, we don't have the answers, but to just put a fine point on how we're thinking about it, it's constantly shifting and certainly can't ignore the ways in which it's shifting right now, especially if you observe what's happening within newsrooms and who's represented it, who decides what story shows up, um, who decides the framing of those stories. It, it all matters. Yeah. I mean, I think that you, um, you know, referenced implicit training, um, unconscious bias and, and uh, implicit bias training. Um, be, like how can people avoid falling into the traps of, you know, saying, oh, well, we need to have a female voice because the story is about women, or we need to have a person of color, um, this person, this story is about race, when, you know, there's so much more that, that people of color and women can, can talk about um, beyond, um, you know, things that are specific to their demographic group. I'll, I'll give you one example of something that I've been working on and really pushing for. Um, really rooting it around academic rigor and data because let me just step back for, for a brief second. Years ago, Google did a study with an organization called the Gina Davis Institute and also um, USC. And it was meant to use, it, they created this tool, they use machine learning to understand bias in film. They looked at how often women speak on air versus men. And then they tied that to box office report. So they said, that we tried to tie it to business impact. And the result of the study found that if women speak as much as or more than men on screen, those films perform better at the box office. We started to think about how do you translate that to news? How do you translate that to information? Because philosophically, everyone agrees that we need balance in newsrooms and within storytelling. But the why is where we try to attack it. We try to show what happens when you don't have a, an inclusive newsroom, when your leadership doesn't reflect the community that they serve. We've been spending a lot of time on this and trying to operationalize this and working with newsrooms to say, well, this is what happens when you don't 
have more or less inclusive content. Here's the audience that you're missing out on. When people see headlines reflected a certain way or they feel like their community isn't covered, then they tune out. So being Google being a technology company, again, we understand philosophically that everyone agree, agrees inclusion is important, but we try to take it a step further and say, well, this is why. And I've done so many of those implicit bias um, tests, the raising of the hand, uh, how do you react to a certain word? Um, Harvard has done a lot of research around it. I think you can find some of their implicit bias tests. But we are trying to then tie that to what is the impact of you not really training how you think how does that uh, how does that affect your newsroom? How does that affect your ability to to grow your audience? How does that then affect your bottom line? So it's more than awareness, but it's here's what happens when you don't actually act on it. Right. You know, I I, I like that that you you know you pointing out um, you know who's the leadership at an organization and who's deciding you know what stories go to print and if that's not reflective of you know the the broader public or the population that you're that you're reaching that you're um, that you're serving, then then there will be problems. So you know we've seen a lot of editors, a lot of news publications, really you know taken to task over the last week or so. I mean we've seen a lot of resignations, um, high profile ones. What what's the next step that needs to happen in order for this to actually be sustainable and for this not to just be a kind of a moment in time? Certainly. And I, like everyone else, have been watching this play out, watching the personal stories on Twitter, watching or or seeing people's narratives and saying, this happened to me. And it strikes me that this is the first time we've seen it at the velocity that we're seeing and then the immediate change that's happening. The thing that I wonder about, and I'm putting a, a, a lot of thinking in the, into this, and, and when I say we're constantly evolving and iterating, what I wonder is if we look over the past several weeks, we see the resignations, but how did that change representation in terms of the stories that we're telling, the framing of the stories? So yes, we saw journalists in some cases reacting to stories that their newsrooms put out. We've seen all of the headlines. We then saw the resignations. So the what's next is the thing that I'm thinking about as well. Well, then what happens thereafter? Because we and we see this even in our teams and internally, we think about, well, who then comes in? To, to then be the leader to continue to tell the story. And it's often not as easy as putting uh, a person of color in a place of leadership. So I know that it's something that I personally am curious about, even as someone who's not working in a newsroom, but adjacent to news. That's the piece that I qu haven't quite sorted out because things are happening so quickly. Just the, the speed of change within the news industry and how vocal people are becoming. And to your point, the number of resignations, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's almost like whiplash. So what is that next? I, I can't even presume to answer that. Uh, but I, I, as a spectator, am really searching inside myself to make sure that we are actively part of something that's productive as Google um, and, and not kind of taking a pass and just kind of waiting to see what happens. Right, you know, I've been speaking to some DNI experts, and one of the things that they're cautioning against is, is having just sort of like saying, okay, well, we're going to add one person to leadership because then you're going to have tokenization, you're going to have isolation, mm -hmm. um, and you know, it, so I mean, that that there, it, there has to be um, a bigger, more holistic change, right? That has to happen. Yeah. 
let's talk also a little bit about social media. I mean, you referenced Twitter and a lot of the, I mean, a lot of this movement, a lot of this calling out has been happening on social media. People whose voices have been marginalized have been able to say, you know, I was an intern here and here's how I was treated. Um, You know, even I've seen, you know, retailers, right? People saying, look, I worked at this Mm -hmm. retail store. You know, we were, we had code words um, uh, when people of color came in. So, I mean, what role is social media playing in creating a more inclusive storytelling environment? One of the things that I've noticed, um, especially paying attention to this years ago, I was an adjunct at NYU and taught this class on social media and the speed of news. And it's so, everything we talked about then has completely expired because we're talking about social media in a different way. The thing that strikes me is that it has really democratized everybody's voice. You don't now have to wait for a journalist to find you, use you as a source in a story, then tell your story. It feels like the power has been given to those who own the story. And you are then giving a, a, a platform, a microphone to own your story, to tell your story, and to really connect with people who will amplify your story for you. And in many cases, sometimes when you tweet, it feels like you're shouting into a vacuum, you're shouting into an ocean. Maybe someone sees this, maybe they don't. But mm-hmm. now I'm finding that everyone's seeing the story and they are telling it for you. And what I what I wonder if people uh, feel when they take their story public or they go on social, they do the tweets, right? The, the support that you get knowing that you're not alone, that has been the power of social media that I'm seeing. The fact that you don't have to tell your story by yourself and it just falls into the abyss, someone else is going to tell the story. I was actually looking at a Neiman Lab thread um, last week that was a collection of everyone's sort of personal story of this happened to me in the newsroom because they did not want it to be lost. I personally, every time I saw one, I make it a point to like it. I make it a point to email it to myself just so I can know who's telling what story. But now when I see organizations saying, here's a collection of stories and they can't be lost, please come back to see them and we're going to keep adding to them. So what I find is you're not alone anymore. You're, you're not alone. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing that that's that you're kind of being brought together so these stories aren't lost. Um, so, you know, I, I guess another question I have is, you know, because I know your career, I mean, you know, you've kind of spanned, you know, you, you've had professorships, I know you've worked in, in media, and you've also worked in PR. Um, so I'm curious, what do you think about the diversity issue in, in comms and public relations? And why has it, I mean, I've been covering this issue for over a decade now, and I mean, the amount of progress has been modest at best, um, and in particular uh, in leadership ranks, um, in senior level mm-hmm. positions. And what, what, I, what, do you have any observations on kind of what needs to change within the industry? Do you know, I started my career in, in PR, so it's always near and dear to my heart. And if I, if I rewind and I kind of give a little reflection, I was always the only one. I was always the only black person in the companies that I worked at. I worked at AOL. I worked at an agency where we were the agency of record for Microsoft. When I came to Google, I, I, I didn't come to Google in a PR or comms capacity, but I've always been the only one. And if I think back to the moment at AOL, the way I got that job is I was in grad school at Georgetown at the time, and they only reached out to Georgetown to say, this, this, there's an internship, would you just kind of spread it among your community? Um, and again, I was only one of two people in my master's program 
at Georgetown. So you already had that built in. The access just wasn't there. The idea for who we reach out to was not as inclusive. I would imagine they didn't reach out to Howard and look in the PR and comms department. So we're, we're already starting at a point where you've got to be in the right place to even know that the opportunity exists. So that that is something that that really, if I think about the course of my career, I happened to be in those spaces where I was the only right. and happened to have knowledge of things existing. Um, this is a very small point, and I, I don't mean to say that this is a solution, but I was reading something a few weeks ago, was talking about the organizations that don't even go to NADJ every year who, who don't show up and get access to talent of color. Most of the places I went, I worked at never went to those places. So there was this, this, this kind of um, blind eye turn to what's the pipeline. Everyone says there's no pipeline, but then going out and finding them and actually challenging yourself to diversify your team. Even at Google, I always ask the question when I look at people's teams, like challenge people to ask, well, who did you talk to? Why, why does your team look a certain way? Does it occur to you that there maybe was an opportunity that you could have brought in a different person on this team? But I think it's so comfortable to, to kind of go with what you know. And I think that's the comfort, that's the internal soul searching that I, pe I think people are doing in this moment that they perhaps didn't do 10, 15, 20 years ago. So it, it wasn't about we were all invisible and there was there were no people of color who wanted to get in comms or, or, or PR. I think people were too comfortable to just, you know, look for people who look like them. And I, I, I love that we're in a moment now where we are vocally saying that doesn't fly anymore. That's right. not going to work. You can't get away with that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, it's a point about, I mean, Google, I mean, technology in general. Right. I mean, not only. Um, I mean, obviously beyond comms and PR, there's, there's, there is a, there is a diversity issue um, that I was talking to somebody yesterday about how you look at a lot of these tech PR agencies and um, they, they're, you know, the, the diversity issue seems to be even, even worse than, than in the industry at large. Um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you also about, about access and people's networks, um, especially when you're thinking about inclusive storytelling, right? Like who, I mean, who, who are your experts, right? Who's in your Rolodex? Who are you calling when you want commentary? And, and how can people um, think about diversifying that list? I mean, I'm you now, I mean, and, and this is just, this is for journalists, but this is also for folks in the, in the comms industry. You know, who are they going to within their organizations or their clients' organizations? Um, how, can they, how can they reach out and get new voices? Um, so that you know they're not reaching out for the same folks and not just calling people of color the moment that they have a diversity issue. Like you have, you probably have people of color that can speak to your technical issue, um, that can speak to you know some investor issue. You know, I it 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 seems quite. I mean, I don't. I, it seems quite limiting um, for everybody to just have folks pigeonholed. I love this question and how I approach it for myself and especially how I bring it back to Google is I look at I look at systems and I look at the fact that Google can't we're talking about inclusion. This is not something that Google is equipped or should do by itself. So I think about foundations. Um, I have a lot of contacts and colleagues and people that I look for inspiration from Knight Foundation um, at the Ford Foundation. So how do we do the foundations piece and how do we then set standards for who we all fund? How do we as a collective say, we need your board, we need your leadership ranks to look this way before we can think about funding you. I also look at academic experts who are in my Rolodex. And then I also look at the nonprofits. I mentioned the Maynard Institute, for example. So 
it's very, it's a holistic system for me. And I know that each of us has a different role to play. And my job and my role and my responsibility is think about where does Google plug into the larger system? We do have, we do have access to resources. We do have Mindshare, but there's a lot of work that's happening and we can't do it alone. So I try to build the relationships with the people who care. It's, it's not, you know, showing up to say, we wanted to launch a program that was great and we feel good about ourselves. We are thinking about how do we think about inclusion and storytelling as a whole and what's the place at which we plug in and we fit into it and really driving change as a collective. You know, that, that, that makes me think of, of one other question I wanted to ask you is about sort of our fragmented media environment, right? Where people are, are seeking out, they're, they're looking to reinforce their own value system and it's easier than mm -hmm. ever to do that. And you always get the sense that, you know, you're, you're, people are preaching to the choir. Like sometimes I'll get on my Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, everybody cares about this issue. And then I'll turn on some news station and I'll be like, no, nobody, like, it's just my Twitter followers that care about this or, or, my, or the folks I follow on Twitter. Um, in, in this fragmented media environment, how, you know, what are some of the challenges around inclusive storytelling? And do you have any thoughts on how we can overcome that? Yeah, I'll give you an example of something um, that we do on a product side at Google. And I know you talked to Annie a bit more. Um, Last year, we relaunched the Google News app, and one of the key pieces of it was a concept called full coverage, because we understand confirmation bias, and we know that many people seek out points of view that already validate what they what they believe. So from a technological standpoint, and this is not just about inclusion, it is how do we expose people to a wealth of conversation and a wealth of dialogue um, and get you conditioned to not just look for the things that you believe, or already support or just reading the sources that kind of resonate with you. So if you go into the news app, what you'll see is um, when you look at a particular story, what we've tried to do is put that story in context, give you the, the moment when it was broken, give you the, the social discourse, all the tweets and show you how it unfolded so that we empower people to know exactly what's happening and not just go to the sources that you believe in. So we understand there's some responsibility on Google side that we can use with our products, with our technology in terms of how we are educating people, helping them to be more media literate. Um, I think media literacy has been a topic du jour for the past couple of years. We thought about how to you build that into a product so that you do expose people for multiple multiple different perspectives and different sources. Personally, there's a lot of work to do. I do a lot of work on the publisher diversity side to make sure some of those super small publications show up, but it, the steps are happening, but we certainly have more work to do in terms of, well, who are we servicing? Who shows up? What is the perspective that we are exposing people to? And how do we do that in a really organic way so that you feel, wow, I'm informed. I maybe didn't agree with that. That was a perspective I didn't know. That's a source that I don't perhaps look at, but that's the role that I think technology can play because it, I mean, our phones are in our hands all the time. We're like walking newspapers all the time. So there is some, I, I think there's some responsibility that we can play in terms of informing people and making them more literate, whether it's about inclusion or otherwise. So for the Google News Initiative, um, is, there, is there a site or somewhere they can go on, on Google's page to learn more about that? Yes, the website is g.co slash news initiative. And there you'll see all of our pillars. You'll also get some information about an innovation fund that we launched in February um, that I'm running where we're trying to put upwards of $6 million into the hands of publishers who are telling the stories of people of color, identify how we can support their businesses. But um, all the information is, is on that website, g.co slash news initiative.
Great, thank you. And we'll include that in the show notes as well. Well, Latoya, thank you for this conversation. It's really important and it feels like we should, we should follow up at some point and, and kind of talk about how some of these initiatives are going. Absolutely. I'm here whenever you're ready to talk. I can talk about this all day. This is great. Well, thank you so much, Latoya. Thank you. Take care. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.